they are some of the most effective antidepressants around, and they are pretty well tolerated. But to use the MAOIs, you'll need to follow the sixth psychopharmacology commandment. Honor thy MAOI interactions. Welcome to the Carlite Psychiatry Podcast, keeping psychiatry honest since 2003. I'm Chris Aiken, the editor-in-chief of the Carlite Psychiatry Report. And I'm Kelly Newsom, a Psych MP and a dedicated reader of every issue. Psychiatry is a collaborative art. We work with people who have problems with judgment, and we have to meet them where they're at while making sure the treatment doesn't steer too far off the road. That's what the Psychopharm Commandments are all about. In this series, we are highlighting areas where the line between safe and unsafe is a sharp one, and there's little room for compromise. Let's recap the first five before we get into today's number six. Number one, do not worsen mental illness with psych meds. So don't give antidepressants during mania or psychostimulants to people with psychosis. Two, avoid stopping meds abruptly, particularly benzodiazepines, serotonergic antidepressants, and lithium. Patients rank withdrawal problems as one of their top concerns with psych meds. Unless there's a dire need to get off the med, like a lamotrigine rash, we recommend stopping psych meds gradually over at least two weeks. And that brings us to number three. Stop lamotrigine if any rash develops in the first three months of treatment with it. Four, watch out for lithium toxicity and prevent it by staying on top of drug interactions, dehydration and your patient's age, and renal function. Five, do not combine benzodiazepines and opioids in patients who have an elevated risk of overdose. Check our November 7th podcast to learn the signs of high risk and our September-October 2022 episodes to recap the first five commandments. Today we'll cover another solid line in Psychopharm, MAOI interactions. And before you start saying, I know, hold the cheese and don't combine it with antidepressants, hold that thought, because we've got new research that will change how you use them. And there is good reason to use MAOIs. These antidepressants can work when other options haven't. And if you steer clear of these interactions, the MAOIs are actually pretty well-tolerated meds, causing fewer problems with weight gain, fatigue, and sexual dysfunction compared to other antidepressants. Like lamotrigine, the well-tolerated mood stabilizer that can cause a serious rash, just because a med has medical risks doesn't mean it's hard to tolerate. But before we go further, a preview of the CME quiz for this episode. Which antipsychotic has a potentially dangerous interaction with MAOIs? A. Haloperidone B. Eripiprazole C. Lorazidone D. Ziprazidone There are two interactions to worry about with MAOIs, hypertensive crisis and serotonin syndrome. Both are potentially fatal, but for different reasons. In hypertensive crisis, the cause of death is cardiovascular, like stroke. This is the dreaded cheese effect, caused by an interaction with tyramine-rich foods like aged cheeses, dried meats, and home-brewed alcohol. But 
Medications can also cause this hypertensive emergency, like stimulants and cocaine. The main sign of hypertensive crisis is a sharply elevated blood pressure and severe headache. Hypertensive crises can also cause confusion, blurry vision, chest pain, and seizures. The other interaction is serotonin syndrome, and it's often talked about with SSRIs and SNRIs. But it's with the MAOIs that we really need to worry about it. The reason is that serotonin syndrome is much more common and more severe when it occurs with MAOIs. It can be fatal. So serious is a reaction that it caused the government to limit resident physicians working hours in the Libby Zion law. On March 4, 1984, an 18-year-old Libby Zion was admitted to New York Presbyterian Hospital for flu-like symptoms. The physicians in the emergency department were unsure of the cause and admitted her for observation. The doctors did notice unusual jerking motions in her legs and prescribed an opioid, meperidine, to control it, otherwise known as Demerol. Overnight, she became more agitated, and the on-call resident ordered restraints and halipiridol. The restraints was necessary as she was trying to jump out the window. Her temperature spiked to a potentially fatal level of 107 degrees, and she died that night of cardiac arrest, overheated. The resident physician, who had been awake for 36 hours at that point, called the family to notify them. When the father learned about the restraints and the antipsychotic, he suspected something was amiss. He was Sidney Zion, a prominent lawyer and writer, and the legal case and media attention that followed changed medical training forever. The problem with the care here was that Libby Zion was taking phenylzine, an MAOI, and the opioid she was prescribed is contraindicated with MAOIs because of its serotonergic effects. The agitation and high temperature that ensued were all signs of serotonin syndrome. In fact, she may have had a mild case of serotonin syndrome when she was admitted. Libby had trace amounts of cocaine in her blood, and cocaine inhibits serotonin reuptake, among its many other effects, including blood pressure elevation that can trigger the other MAOI side effect, hypertensive crisis. The flu-like symptoms that she was admitted for might have been due to serotonin syndrome, which can cause fever, sweats, and confusion, as well as muscle twitching like the type that led to the prescription of mepiridine in the first place. To remember the symptoms of serotonin syndrome, think shaking, sweaty, and confused. Shaking equals tremor, restless, and twitching. Sweaty equals fever and sweats. Confusion equals delirious and unresponsive. The father sued the doctors not for malpractice, but for murder. But in the end, the resident was charged with 38 counts of gross negligence and gross incompetence. As part of the trial, which was broadcast on court TV, the defense lined up several medical school chairs who testified that they had never heard of this MAOI interaction. In truth, it was not widely known at the time, 
So it's not clear that sleep deprivation caused the error here on the doctor's part. But the whole scenario did catch the attention of the state health commissioner, which led New York to pass the first law limiting residents' working hours in 1989 to no more than 24 hours in a row and 80 hours in a week. That law went national in 2003 and was further tightened in 2011, limiting on-call hours for first-year residents to 16 hours. We'd like to think that makes a difference for patients, but oddly most studies on mortality rates before and after the change have found little to no difference. Some say it's because the laws did not go far enough. Staying up for 30 hours pulls down cognitive performance in physicians by a whole standard deviation, according to a meta-analysis of 60 studies. Today, the interaction that took Libby Zion's life is well-known and prominently posted on many medication information sheets. Google MAOI drug interactions, and it can seem like nearly every medication can cause problems. But some of those warnings may be unwarranted. Some meds got warnings early on, based on theoretical risks, meds like carbamazepine because it resembles a tricyclic antidepressant in its structure, and the triptans for migraines. The triptans are serotonergic, but they actually don't act on the serotonin receptors that are involved in serotonin syndrome. And large epidemiologic studies have not found increased rates of serotonin syndrome with triptan and SSRI or MAOI combinations. For our book, Prescribing Psychotropics, we gathered an up-to-date list of meds to avoid with MAOIs. It's on page 145 if you have the book, and we'll summarize it here. It includes all the SSRIs and SNRIs, the MAOIs, don't combine two MAOIs, the newer antidepressants vortioxetine and velazodone, and the tricyclics, but mainly among them the serotonergic ones, clomipramine and amipramine, possibly trazodone, not as clear there, and possibly nefazodone. Also avoid ketamine, esketamine, and possibly lithium and buspirone. We have to say possibly on some of these because clinical studies are not exactly possible to conduct here. The list also includes antipsychotic zeprazidone, which is a serotonin 1A agonist with a track record for triggering serotonin syndrome in case reports. Stimulants are also on the list. These meds not only raise serotonin, but like the cheese effect, they can also cause a hypertensive crisis. Then there are some opioids with serotonergic effects on the list, and a few odds and ends like fenfluramine and other over-the-counter meds like L-tryptophan, SAM-E, St. John's wort, and a host of decongestants that contain phenylephrine, pseudoephedrine, dextromethorphan, which is now a psych med for depression, or chlorpanaramine, as well as recreational drugs like cocaine, amphetamines, LSD, MDMA, ecstasy, and bath salts. The bulk of those medicines are antidepressants, which presents a challenge when starting MAOIs, because you have to get them off their old antidepressant first to avoid these drug interactions. 
Technically, it takes five half-lives for a med to clear the system. But just because it's out of the bloodstream doesn't mean its pharmacodynamic effects in the brain have settled down. So add a little buffer. For most meds, five half-lives is five days. So we'd wait at least seven days after stopping it before starting the MAOI. The two with longer half-lives are fluoxetine, Prozac, and vortioxetine, Trintelix. For fluoxetine, the wait is four to five weeks, and for vortioxetine, it's two to three weeks. This change often frightens patients who ask, what am I going to do without my antidepressant for a week? Of course, the reason we're getting off it here is that it wasn't working, but that doesn't change the placebo effect. Make sure to educate your patient that the medication is still in their bloodstream the whole time. That, in fact, is why we're waiting. Now, this next MAOI tip is for the highly skilled psychopharmacologist who can gauge with adept precision the risk-benefit of every decision they make. In other words, don't try this unless you're real experienced and your patient has already failed ECT. Some antidepressants might be safe to combine with MAOIs, specifically those with no serotonergic effects. That is, disipramine, trimipramine, and doxepin, all tricyclics, as well as bupropion wellbutrin. And Jan Fawcett also reports success with the dopaminergic premapaxol combined with MAOIs. These meds have been successfully combined with MAOIs in case series, but here's a warning, that does not mean that they are safe. We need a lot more published data and real-world experience to back that up. And you also have to wonder if it's even effective. It is difficult, after all, to show much additive benefit when two antidepressants are combined together. Rather than combining meds, I would recommend maximizing the MAOI dose in these cases where you got to do something more. There is evidence of a dose-response relationship with the MAOIs. And which MAOI do you start with, Dr. Aiken? Usually phenylzine, Nardil. Phenylzine is the least sedating of the bunch, possibly because it has unique dopaminergic effects. In that sense, phenylzine is the holy grail of antidepressants, the fabled triple reuptake inhibitor that the industry has long toiled to devise. It raises serotonin, norepinephrine, and dopamine. You know, we talked about using MAOIs in treatment-resistant depression and atypical depression, but they also work well in anxiety disorders. Phenylzine has a large effect size, much larger than the SSRIs, in several trials of social anxiety some of them large trials, and tranylcypramine, another MAOI, has trials in panic disorder. So I would also consider them for treatment-resistant panic and social anxiety disorder. You know, 70% of psych meds are prescribed in primary care, and that means a lot to us because it tells us that the pool of responders to first-line therapies like SSRIs and bupropion are likely dried up by the time patients get in to see us. We're secondary and tertiary care, so we ought to be well-versed in using MAOIs, not to mention clozapine, lithium, and ECT. 
Yet I have sat in conferences where the audience is asked who is prescribing MAOIs and very few hands go up. Let's change that. Think of how many patients you see with treatment-resistant depression who failed two trials of antidepressants or treatment-resistant panic and social anxiety disorders. Try an MAOI. Why not start with the MSAM patch? It doesn't have any food restrictions at 6 milligrams. I will use MSAM if the idea of food restrictions is going to turn the patient off from using an MAOI entirely, but there are two reasons why I don't tend to go that way. One is that with an MAOI, there is a dose-dependent response, and I'm usually using this in severe cases, so usually I'm going to have to raise that 6 milligrams up to 9 or 12 milligrams, at which point there's going to be food restrictions. The other reason is a bigger one, is that usually I'm turning to an MAOI because the patient has a treatment-resistant disorder. MSAM has no evidence in treatment-resistance depression, never been studied there, so we just don't know if it's going to work. If I'm going to go that far and really want to help the patient, I'll choose a traditional MAOI. MAOIs are underutilized, and I doubt it's the drug interactions that scare people away. Those are easy. Just avoid them. It's the food interactions where things get dicey, because we're depending on the patient not to eat that pepperoni pizza. And here's where we have an update that will make it easier for you. The internet is awash with warnings about tyramine-rich foods to avoid on MAOIs. But you can cast most of that aside. We really didn't have the technology to measure tyramine in foods until around the millennium, year 2000. Since then, the dietary restrictions have relaxed a bit, most importantly with that fun favorite pizza. In 1999, researchers at the University of Toronto measured the tyramine content in pizzas from popular chains like Pizza Hut and Domino's. They didn't hold back. Ordering double cheese and double pepperoni and considering half of a medium pizza as a single serving. All was safe. The foods that you still have to worry about are those that are aged or fermented, like aged meats or cheeses, charcuterie board stuff, sauerkraut, fermented tofu, homemade beer or wine. You know, most of those foods have one thing in common. They have bacteria involved in their production, and those bacteria convert proteins into tyramine. And it's that tyramine that causes the dreaded hypertensive crisis. Sourdough bread and specialty soy sauces are also to be avoided. But most commercialized processed products are okay. All of those preservatives seem to keep the bacteria and tyramine down. Most grocery stores keep the inexpensive cheeses in the dairy section, wrapped in plastic with a craft logo. And those are all okay here. It's generally the expensive aged cheeses where they're kept somewhere else in an artisanal display that need to be avoided. Now that we know how much tyramine is in each food, we can advise our patients more clearly on which foods to avoid completely and which are safe in small quantities. Bananas, avocados, commercially produced beer and wine and kimchi, even a Vegemite sandwich if you come from down under, are all safe in normal portions. Microbrewed beer or beer on tap is safe in small portions, like one standard drink. And some foods have no restrictions. Yogurt, pepperoni, prosciutto, smoked fish, and soft cheeses. Mozzarella, American ricotta, cottage cheese, and cream cheese.
Get the full list of all that's edible and inedible on an MAOI in our page 142 of our book, Prescribing Psychotropics. Or if you're a subscriber, find it on our double issue on treatment-resistant depression from July 2018. And now for our study of the day, The Impact of Age on Antidepressant Response, from Jeffrey R. Strawn and colleagues in the Journal of Psychiatric Research. The study gathered together data from three large NIMH-sponsored trials to figure out whether age influenced antidepressant response. The participant-level data included over a 1,000 participants from adolescence to old age, from the Tordia, TADS, and COMED studies. The graph is very telling. Adolescents had a very low rate of responding. Not surprising, considering only about 10% of antidepressant trials in children and adolescents are positive. Responses get better in the 20s and peak at age 30, then start to fall in each succeeding decade, particularly after age 50, which is the new cutoff for geriatrics. There are a lot of reasons why older adults might not respond as well to antidepressants. Medical illnesses, particularly inflammation and vascular disease, are known impediments. Changes in fat and water affect the clearance and distribution of the drugs. And older patients are more likely to suffer from chronic depressions, which are harder to treat. And they're more likely to be isolated or unemployed, factors that also hinder response. For the young, the reasons are less clear. Early onset depression might have a different biology. We really don't know, but the brain doesn't fully mature until age 25. And, you know, coincidence there, that's also the age when antidepressant-induced suicidality fades away. Dr. Aiken posts one research update each day on his Twitter and LinkedIn feeds at Chris Aiken MD. Earn CME credits for this episode through the link in the show notes. Your support helps us remain in the ranks of consumer reports, practical farm ideas, motorcycle consumer news, and the few publications that operate free of commercial support.